Welcome to the Commentary Magazine podcast for today, August 25th, 2021. John Podhoritz is still out, but with us today is senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, Noah. And executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, Noah. I'm associate editor Noah Rothman. And um, to update you on the status of our shambolic evacuation from Afghanistan, things are going from bad to worse, as you could have imagined. Yesterday, um, the United States military confirmed that they're pulling up stakes uh, as we speak, The even though the uh, evacuation is ongoing. And while there have been some 80,000 uh, evacuations, uh, individuals have been removed from the Kabul airport. Uh, among them are a measly 4,000 Americans. Now, that's not nothing. But when your estimate was anywhere between 10 to 15,000 Americans stranded in the country when Kabul fell, you can do the math. Um, nevertheless, uh, the United States military is performing a retrograde action. They're uh, beginning to move assets out of the country. Yesterday, during a press conference um, by uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki, she was confronted with the concept of midnight and was confused. Um, somebody asked uh, the press secretary, when the deadline was, is it August 31st at noon? Is it August 30th at 11.59 p.m.? What is it? And her eyes kind of widened. And uh, she, you know, stumbled a little bit and said, we'll have to get back to you. But that she conceded the premise of the question, that evacuation of American military personnel would have to begin necessarily uh, prior to um, the, you know, the 31st deadline, whenever that uh, is reached, and we subsequently got some information out of the Pentagon that they would more be more than happy to sacrifice even more equipment if that means extending this deadline to as long as they could possibly operate. But no one is under the uh, illusion here that we're going to get all American citizens and green card holders out, um, much less the Afghan interpreters who are not SIV eligible and SIVs and half a dozen other you know uh, qualifications that should render you. Uh, somebody who's uh, subject to evacuation here. Uh, and you know, the the Biden administration is as dedicated to this as it is to anything that getting every, get, you know getting out and getting out when they uh, when this deadline matures is going to happen. I don't think anything can derail it at this stage. Can I just say something about Saki's reaction? Because I think um, it's a perfect encapsulation of so much of what is misguided, immoral, and wrong about how the Biden administration has handled this. There are people right now, some including Americans, but also Afghans who, who've helped us uh, in country for 20 years, who are measuring their lives in hours and days. They are doing that. So the, the issue of whether a deadline is 12 noon or midnight actually matters to whether or not they might or might not be able to leave safely or have to stay and and perhaps uh, be murdered by the new regime. So her kind of flipping, oh, I'll get back to you, it, it, this sort of weird insistence by the administration that they'll just keep trotting Biden out, even if it's four hours late and, and you know, with the same teleprompter cue cards at hand, and then he'll turn and walk away without taking questions. It, it, wash, rinse, repeat. They keep doing this. And I, I think we're far beyond the point where it's any sort of strategy. It's literally they are trying to just hold on by by their fingernails for as long as possible, hope, hoping against hope that there won't video won't emerge of an American being killed 
the, these reports won't continue to flood uh, social media with, with evidence that everything they're saying is a lie. Um, but I don't understand as a matter of strategy, the flip, again, the flippant tone that is, is and the annoyance when they are questioned about very basic facts that they, as the people in charge, should know. And, and, and you, I'm sorry, continue. Well, and these are facts that um, they have obfuscated on uh, day after day. Uh, it's not. It's not just that they uh, kick the kick the kick the, kick the uh, can down the road a little bit, which they do. But they but they also just um, say things that conflict with every report, with other departments. Um, this goes on and on. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is a total scramble. And one of the things that's now come to be discussed since uh, I think I guess since uh, Jen Psaki's appearance yesterday. Is well, if the if the U.S. military is going to begin drawing down in advance, this is going to slow down the pace of those uh, much celebrated flights out. Uh, so that means the numbers are going to get um, less impressive as we get closer to the thirty first. I mean, they were always going to be. Right. Eventually, you run out of the you know the population that is in the airport, and right. it starts. You get to the to not to say that this Herculean effort is anything is easy. You wouldn't describe it as such, but nevertheless, the easy part is almost over and the hard part is approaching. And rather than tackle the hard part, they're just going to summarily abandon it. Um, Abe, I think you had some thoughts on this because, and I'm stealing this observation from somebody on Twitter, I forget who, um, but we had a, a speech from Joe Biden yesterday, not a press conference, but a speech that was initially scheduled for two and then it was going to be four and then it ended up being like 4.30 and somebody said, you know, when when you're trying to uh, communicate to the general public you're, uh, you, that you have your hands around the situation, one of the things you want to do is make yourself set deadline to address it. Uh, just communicated the the you know disarray in which the administration clearly finds itself. All but the most committed of hack partisans would acknowledge that at this point. And we're surrounded by hack partisans, so it's not hard to find people who are insisting upon the sheer sheer competence, which is what I think. Uh, Paul Krugman described the administration's response as sheer competence. Um, but uh, Joe Biden gave a speech yesterday. He talked about, he said basically all the talking points that you've already heard. He continues to to recite um, a, a, a litany of uh, bullet points that this administration has adhered to um, for, for several weeks now, um, despite the you know, radically evolution or uh, evolving situation on the ground. Um, and, you know, repetition, I suppose, is this, you know, Pavlovian way to uh, condition you, you know, neuro-linguistic programming to get you to believe that what you're seeing actually is, uh, is, is a competent response. But, you know, is it working? I don't, I don't necessarily see the public, you know, embracing, embracing the Joe Biden administration's talking point. Nevertheless, we still get polls suggesting that the public wants out and they want out even if even if this is how you do it, we'll, you know, in, in a week's time when we're gone, um, the assumption on the part of you know people like us is that there's going to be a lot of violence. We're going to see these images. Maybe we won't. Maybe we won't see these images. Maybe we won't hear these reports. Um, you know, you already get the sense that the press is, is dying to move on to other subject matter. Maybe they will. And maybe this just fades. Yeah, in that sense, I think it is working a little bit. Um, it's working on the media. It's, I don't know that it's working on the American public. Um, but yesterday was just, I thought, profoundly weird. Because uh, Biden was supposed to initially come out at 2.30. That was pushed to 
In the interim, Jen Psaki came out, which is an interesting move because that would mean if she spoke before the president, she wouldn't have to deal with cleaning up whatever uh, weird um, and inconclusive and indecipherable things he might have said uh, after the fact. Um, Then uh, the president came out. He was supposed to come out at 430. He came out after five, I think. Um, spoke at length first about the the the, the move on the budget among uh, House Democrats um, uh, to celebrate that and talk about build back better. Um, and then yes, then he then we had all the same talking points. By that time, by the way, the American public was well aware that the his meeting with the G seven leaders, which which was uh, on, which was scheduled for yesterday during which we all knew that they all wanted him to extend the deadline in Afghanistan. We all knew that he had already resisted. Uh, that was a, that was a done deal. And he came out and he said, Oh, we're all on the same page. We, everything's going great. We're going to get everyone out in time. And uh, yeah, there may still be some difficulties and uh, we all believe in human rights going forward. And then took no questions. Uh, there was some speculation that perhaps the president delayed his his appearance because of this, you know, rulemaking vote over the three point five trillion dollar budget in the in the House. There was some you know disagreement between moderates and progressives, all of whom were trying to find some happy medium where they could agree on a rule in order to vote on the budget, which will go back to the Senate. It's complicated, but the bottom line is this rule passed after some you know, internal deliberations and concessions to the moderates in, in her caucus. And there's some speculation that the president really wanted that win, which is why he opened up with that you know, conversation about how this is going to be great for working families and mothers and blah, 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 um, which is, strikes me as so discordant and so detached from the reality of the situation they engineered and are trying to navigate um, that you know, it suggests that this administration really is at sea, uh, something that you could glean from uh, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain's frantic retweeting of anybody who glances affectionately in the direction of the White House. It is truly uh, craven, the the way they are just desperately groping for uh, positive reinforcement from the Twitter sphere. Well, and- um, but yeah, they, they're, they are, you know, bereft of, uh, of victories, and, and maybe they wanted to tout, tout a little win here that they got from the House. But there's also this, they're, they're, the, the point, they're, they're beyond the point of no return with regard to, to sort of uh, moderately minded people looking at what's been happening the last few weeks and trying to give the administration the benefit of the doubt. Because the other thing that happened yesterday is that both the State Department and Defense canceled their usual briefings. So if in the, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, normal times, you would say, well, they're all going to just let the president take the message of what's going on in Afghanistan that everybody's focused on. He's going to he's going to be the sole uh, messenger here. And that's something that administrations often do. They cancel the other briefings, let the president speak to the issue. And then and then that's and then take questions from the press and then move and then we move on. But now I feel like as soon as that was reported that they were canceling their briefings, I mean, people were speculating and not wildly. Are they all in the situation room? Where's the president? What is happening? That kind of that was a low level brief moment of panic. But we're seeing that happen more and more often with this administration. So it wasn't at all reassuring to have him stroll out and start talking about infrastructure week again. I mean, it it was almost surreal at this point in time after everything that's come before. Yeah, um, speaking of the controversy of the speaking of the Defense Department, the alphabet agencies, <clears throat> the the controversy of the day 
is that uh, Congress uh, Congressman Seth Moulton, a Democrat, and Peter Major, a uh, Republican, took an unannounced uh, uh, trip to Kabul um, to to visit the site of the evacuation to witness firsthand the nation's uh, abject disgrace and to uh, you know not just bear witness to it, but obviously to uh, describe what they just you know what they came back with and um, the apoplexy that you're seeing from the defense and intelligence uh, apparatus you know, the community of defense and, and intelligence uh, people are is just tough to describe. Uh, they are boiling with rage at these uh, two congressmen because they, they had disrupted operations. They were taking seats away from Americans. They had made every effort to ha- have a very minimal uh, footprint, a small detail. And um, according to Congressman Moulton, unless you think he's lying, his plane was by no means full on the return, which suggests that you know, these, uh, this is really just a pretext to get really mad at, at these congressmen. And it is, in my view, uh, so distasteful um, because what they're angry at is the publicization of their shambolic approach to this evacuation under under horrible terms, under terms that they did not, you know, bring about themselves. But nevertheless, um, they're embarrassed, and they should be by this display. But we have seen nothing approaching this level of chest beating, garment rending outrage. From towards the Biden administration, towards the Defense Department, towards the CIA, towards anybody who is preparing, actively preparing at this stage to leave American citizens and green card holders behind Taliban lines. Nothing like this kind of outrage. So maybe they're projecting it or maybe they're just really so committed uh, careerists that they don't they do find this more objectionable than executing this mission, um, this amoral and um, anti-American mission abroad. On the long list of things that have compromised this effort in Afghanistan, uh, this trip does not even rank as a data point. Uh, It is not even there. No, as you pointed out, they're outraged because the 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 lawmakers had, were there to bear witness to what was going on and come back and talk about it and it, in part that is vital because we're not getting the straight story on what's going on we're only getting happy talk yeah and this 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 pierced the armor and and they came back with something else now yeah i, I think the trip was a little reckless in the way it was carried out um but you know for the record uh u.s lawmakers take unannounced trips to hot zones, then they're unannounced because of security reasons. Well, and the the, the idea that, that Bi- the Biden administration is now trying to uh, paint these two guys as disaster tourists who, who were threatening everybody else is ridiculous because the, actually I think the key bit of information that they brought back with them was about this, this, how many seats were on the plane and how many were filled and not. Because we know from NGOs, we know from former CIA officers who've been trying to get their people out via private means. We know from other nations that have tried to evacuate their own citizens. A lot of these planes, are em- these seats are empty. They are not processing the people at the rate they need to be processing them to fill the planes that are ready to take off and cannot just hang out on the tarmac forever. So they actually pointed that out. It's not like they were doing, I mean, I honestly have to say, 
for the left, which is constantly, you know, jetting around in private jets and, and saying, it's fine, I have a carbon offset. Like these guys actually did a kind of refugee offset. They're like, we took seats that would have been crew members. They were very careful. They tried to be careful about how they traveled there and back. I appreciate that. I don't think they were going just as disaster tourists at all. I think as Abe says, there are two things. It's not just that the administration is not speaking straight to the American people about this. They are not talking to our allies in a direct and, and straight way. They Whatever conversations they're having internally are not making it making it out via leaks to the press. The press is now um, diminished. It's a diminished presence in, in Kabul and, and certainly in the rest of the country. We do not have a lot of conduits for information. We have people calling desperately their congressmen or friends that they know begging for help to get out. That's what we have. And whether you can verify that or not, I don't think two congressmen going over there to see with their own eyes what's happening is something the Biden administration needs to be highlighting by chastising them publicly. It's even more ironic because they, they went on this trip convinced of the necessity of extending the deadline beyond August 31st, and they returned with the precise opposite conclusion, not because we're going to get all our people out, but because we're not. We're not going to get everybody out by August 31st. We're not going to get everybody out by September 11th. We're not going to get everybody out, period. And so isn't that... Yeah, no, they're they're resigned to leaving Americans behind. Um, isn't isn't that the headline? Not, not not that these two guys took a trip there that did, actually did no harm? Isn't, isn't the headline that this is not going to work? This massive effort is actually not going to achieve the goal that 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 the president has been saying day after day is going to achieve the goal not only is it not going to work but we should resign ourselves to the prospect of, of leaving americans oh, behind it is inevitable even worse than we should resign ourselves because that's not what the biden administration messaging is right now their messaging is this is the most amazing airlift since berlin like they are literally congratulating themselves for doing a pardon my french half-assed job cleaning up a mess that they created with the with the way that they strategically decided to withdraw again to Noah's point earlier it's very important to keep reminding everyone they didn't make this mess but they decided how to to get out of it and they did that very badly it's going to cost people their lives it already has cost people their lives so I don't know what they're thinking I'm sorry but I just I don't understand what they're thinking is going to follow when we leave hundreds if not thousands of Americans behind Taliban lines so they think it's just going to go away and the administration is already prepping the beaches with their we're going to get every American out who wants to get out rhetoric is a transparent effort to blame the the Americans who are who are left behind uh, for negligence on their part and you already see this in the part of the administration's more shameless boosters who are saying, oh, you know, they should, everybody should have listened to State Department warnings and never gone there in the first place, it's, it's, which is just as craven as you can possibly get. But it is going to be an effort to say these people were negligent or they wanted to be there. They wanted to, and some of them do. Some of them don't, don't want to abandon the Afghans who they know very well, the families, these women, these children, to the mercies of the Taliban. But a lot of them are just trapped. And they're going to subsequently suggest, oh, you know, this is their negligence. It's their fault. And, you know, should you pay for their negligence? You know, the saintly taxpayer who has to who has to pay for these, you know, these Air Force flights, really. Um, you can see that coming a mile away, but that's not going to fly. Americans aren't going to accept that we just sacrificed the um, U.S. citizens. You know, your passport used to mean something that no one on Earth could ignore. And now it doesn't. But not only that, it's I, I agree it won't work at all. But that won't close the chapter. They will be stuck over there. This will be an ongoing crisis. You could, you, it doesn't matter how many times you say 
They didn't do act with expedience. They didn't do what they were supposed to do to get out. They're there and they're going to continue to be there as Afghanistan gets worse and worse. And and again, we, we signaled this. We saw this last week. This rhetoric started with the Biden administration last week where Biden stopped talking about the Afghans themselves, the SIV holders, the people who've actually been in the pipeline to get out of this country safely and come to the U.S. because of the help they gave us, who we owe a moral obligation to, to get out of that country. He stopped talking about them last week in this way. He just elided the conversation. Now it's all about Americans who are left, Americans who are left. Now we're, we, there's a further elision. It's Americans who want to get out. So these rhetorical little twists are intentional. They are setting a kind of policy with rhetoric that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fearful they're actually going to carry out in practice. At least so far, that's what they're doing. What about all the Afghans? What about all those visa holders? Are we just the American people care about those people, even if the Biden administration does not? I, I, just, uh, I just want to make another small point. Um, it's something that occurred to me this morning when I when I saw um, Nancy Pelosi condemning the two lawmakers for for going over there, and she called them freelancers. Um, Pelosi has done this, uh, not this exact thing, but she has freelanced. In no, worse. What she did was much worse. In, in 2007, uh, she went to Syria to meet with Bashar Assad over the objections of the White House and the State Department um, because, uh, as, as the White House and the State Department argued, you, you, first of all, we are, we are dealing with a, a terrorist situation with Assad. And you are, you're going over there to try to um, extend some sort of peace offering you are legitimizing him, and this is very bad uh, for uh, geopolitics and for the idea that the United States speaks with one voice on foreign policy. And she went and did it anyway. And she's made unannounced uh, trips to hot zones before. Yeah, that was at a point at which the Assad government was uh, looking the other way, if not actively hosting uh, insurgent elements uh, in Iraq that were crossing the border to execute attacks on Americans. And yes, it was designed to humiliate the the, the Bush administration at the expense of uh, our service personnel who were at risk in Iraq. So it would be like Congressman Moulton and, and Major going to Kabul to visit the Taliban and to legitimize the Taliban. That would be the equivalent, which uh, Nancy Pelosi is, is guilty of. It's all, there's a lot of unknowns. We face a lot of unknowns in the very near term. Um, and it's familiar to everybody who remembers the pandemic, um, which is unfortunately still ongoing. The unknown came to us in 2020 and it changed the workplace forever. Well, some of us are still getting, you know, getting back to the office now. A lot of us find ourselves in the new normal at home. And the future of work has changed. So must your furniture. The X chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now X chair's newest innovation, LMAX temperature regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heating and massage on your lower back while you work. The X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in its class with incredible responsive lower back support. Now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You won't believe the difference until you feel it yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting a massage while you're working. The X-Chair LMAX delivers cooling, heating, massage technology directly to your core, regulating body temperature, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy, all perks that make working from home uh, or the office a joy. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, chair, 
commentary.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR to save $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchair.com. Uh, I'm sorry, go to xchaircommentary.com now and use the code XWheels for free X Wheel Blade Casters, xchaircommentary.com. Um, so we're coming up on what I believe, just to wrap up the Afghanistan conversation, we're coming up. They already say they have 5,000 troops on the ground, which is reduced from the 6,000 that was at peak uh, during when the evacuation effort was rolling up. They are no longer taking Afghan citizens. Um, they are no longer accepting anybody who's even SIV eligible, only American citizens and green card holders. And we got very credible reports that the Taliban is no longer allowing either Afghans or Americans, American citizens through their court. Um, they're going, the Taliban seems intent on halting uh, our evacuation efforts, or at least frustrating our evacuation efforts, even as we're you know, heaping all this praise upon them. Um, at some point, this is going to start really drastically narrowing the amount of people that we can get out, um, which I think the administration would actually sort of welcome uh, because it does allow them to to wrap up this operation sooner rather than later. But we got this poll from Morning Consult, um, which, you know, and I'm, I'm disinclined to take it at face value. But nevertheless, it's something that we probably shouldn't ignore because it's the nightmare scenario. Um, quote, I'm going to read the, the poll question, which is very leading. Quote, do you believe the U.S. should still withdraw its military presence in Afghanistan if it means it creates an opening for al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups to establish operations in Afghanistan? 40% said no, do not withdraw. Another 45% said yes, it's worth it. Um, I don't know if I buy that you know, it's a very leading question, um, and leading questions del deliver hinky results. But what what if we take it at face value? Is is the America is this the this is the Biden administration's bet that you are so parochial, that you are so callous, that you are so jaded, um, that you are so committed to the comforts of modern civilization that you won't tolerate any interruption to them, that you'll accept this national disgrace, this national humiliation, you will accept delivering your fellow citizens into an un unspeakable fate I, um just to preserve what you know the 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 satisfactions of being in a first world country for as long as you can until the spigot runs dry i mean i think i right. i think you're right to focus on how that question is worded if you're a republican right now what you should do is take that poll question repeat it back to your constituents and say this is pr this is this is spin right here, just like everything that's been coming out of this administration with regard to Afghanistan and terrorism is spin, because what it should if it was an appropriately worded question, a truthfully worded question, it would have said, do you still support truth withdrawal since Al Qaeda and terrorist cells are now established in Afghanistan with the support of the Taliban? Right. So basically, this is now a country that is terrorism Disneyland. I don't think they would get the same results at all. And I think if you're a Republican right now, the pivot, I think we should continue to talk about the moral obligation as a country that we have to the people of Afghanistan who who were helping us for the last 20 years and who were part of this mission, because um, that will not go away. And that stain is going to be on us for a very long time. 
But I think if you're a politician, what you should start to talk about to people who otherwise don't seem to care about these sorts of foreign policy issues is this is going to come back to the home front. It was here 20 years ago. We have kept it at bay. We have, as, as John likes to say, it's, that's an incredibly huge accomplishment that we don't talk about enough because people focus on what goes wrong, not how we keep these terrorist attacks from happening. That period is over. We are closing the book on that period of time in America's history. And the home front has now become a place of escalated risk for terrorism simply because of how all of this was handled. I think people should, that might bring it back home to them literally in a, in a way that unfortunately is, is our future. I think that's an excellent point because uh, this poll question gets at, uh, in some sense, the history of the American people in regard to foreign policy. There's this, this debate that really um, kind of picked up uh, around the war on terror. And it was, you know, uh, are the American people a sort of war, war hungry people or do we like to not get involved and mind our own business? And I think the answer is both in that. When threats are in the abstract, we want no part of anything. We're happy with our lives here. Uh, we don't want to hear about boots on the ground. We don't want to talk about wars and getting involved. The second um, a threat is actualized when it's when it's a real situation or when we're struck, we're all in at once. Um, and so uh, that I think is the, is the reality of how Americans view this. And so I think I think the the difference in in language I think is is sort of w would get at that. Yeah, the right's more isolationist Trumpian elements are, are quick to dismiss moral obligation um, as though it's antithetical to the to the uh, the work of statecraft, right. um, which it's not. Uh, this is, you know, this is a fig leaf that they, you know, detach themselves to having no understanding, comprehension or interest in statecraft um, that, you know, just to justifies in their minds the uh, sacrifice of U.S. interests abroad and sort of just, you know, come home America, the McGovernite view of American foreign policy that is now popular on the Trumpian right. But they can't ignore, at least rhetorically, they've, they've crafted a little corner for themselves that they trap themselves in because they can't ignore um, actionable threats, act, you know, actionable intelligence that indicates threats to American uh, citizens or American interests, um, which require kinetic action to resolve. Um, the, and this administration and it's, you know, people who are supportive of it tacitly on the right um, have convinced themselves that there is no kinetic resolution to this thing. And that is just false, object <laughs> false. Um, Representative uh, Crow, I think Jason Crow is his name, uh, representative from Boulder, Colorado, liberal Democrat, also a former veteran or a current veteran, um, you know, said something along the lines of, uh, you know, wh what is the United States military for if it's not for saving Americans from imminent harm from foreign threats. Uh, it would be a big operation, tens of thousands. It would involve combat with Taliban and its terrorist supporters like the Haqqani Network. Uh, and it would be dangerous and people might lose their lives in that mission. Uh, but the alternative here is hard to, hard to fathom. And I think everyone who thinks that we shouldn't use the military to, uh, to preserve and protect American lives now is really going to regret it in the very near term. And I, I, that's important because I think the other thing we're seeing, a kind of weird recalibration in terms of public opinion about what is our military for, um, 
you know, if you talk to anyone who served in Afghanistan over the, during the last 20 years, there, there was a kind of standing joke where, you know, they talked about like they'd have their helmets on and their guns and they're like, okay, today we're, we're fighting a war. And then two hours later, something would come up, they'd put on their beret. They're like, okay, hearts and minds, hearts and minds. Now we're doing hearts and minds. The idea being that just because you're carrying a weapon doesn't mean you're also not doing humanitarian work, right? Not just the UN, you know, blue helmeted guys do this stuff. We did that for 20 years. We didn't always do it successfully. We made a lot of mistakes. We probably created new problems that wouldn't have existed had we not been there, but we still made the effort. And I do think that I've been struck by the number of images that have come out of the, the most recent weeks where they show these fully tricked out soldiers holding infants in their arms and cradling children and trying to really help regular people who are caught up in a conflict not of their own making. And we are now there. We're supposed to be bringing some semblance of order even as we withdraw, and we couldn't even manage that. And the the, the level of incompetence that is now spiraled into a true moral crisis about what is our military for? What do our leaders, what do our civilian leaders think our military is for? I would love for Joe Biden to start taking some really tough questions from the press. What is our military for? One of the most powerful militaries on earth what do you think its purpose is? What is it for? I don't think he could answer that without his cue cards. I mean, another thing that Jen Psaki was asked yesterday at uh, a rather dispiriting press conference was, um, you know, basically what the administration has uh, agreed to here without, you know, expressly saying as much is to allow the Taliban to dictate the terms of our operations to us. Um, and uh, she was asked rather directly, does does the Taliban have as much operational control of our military at the moment as the commander in chief? And, you know, she bristled as she normally does at the, the offensive suggestion, but didn't answer the question because the answer is yes, quite plainly. Yes. Um, and that's the sort of thing that you would imagine Americans will regret. Um, but perhaps they're more concerned about pocketbook issues. Maybe they're more concerned about, the status of their bank accounts, which is understandable. And if that's your concern, then we cannot recommend highly enough DividendCafe.com and the DCToday.com, which are operated by uh, our friend Mr. Bonson at the Bonson Group, a bi-coastal financial services firm with $3 billion under management. It is the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management industry. It will help you navigate uh, a, a, a climate, an economic climate that is increasingly unstable, that is typified by rising rates of inflation and is uh, and is perhaps increasingly going to be rocked by the fallout from Afghanistan as we start to see America's near-peer competitors uh, take advantage of American weakness. So uh, while you uh, try to evade the pitfalls associated with American decline, check out the Bonson Group. They'll help you out. Uh, Abe, while we're talking about this administration's um, general incompetence, uh, you noted something non-Afghanistan related that also indicates uh, the complete implosion of our competent uh, political class. So yesterday, the intelligence community handed over its report on the origins of COVID. Uh, this was uh, undertaken to presumably resolve the question of whether or not the virus came from uh, uh, a lab in Wuhan, China, or uh, uh, jumped, I guess, uh, naturally or organically uh, from species to species and, and ended up uh, circulating among us. 
And um, not surprisingly, the results or the the determination was inconclusive. There is they they don't have an answer. Um, in one respect, I fully understand this because we had been saying for a long time we'll probably never know. Um, in another sense, though, it strikes me, and I wish John was here for this conversation because I think it is yet another installment in the can anyone do anything right category anymore. This is, um, it is an example of um, institutional incompetence, just in that there is a, now the, the official imprimatur of the, of the intelligence community is uh, stamped across uh, our national ignorance on the question. We don't know. And it is, and it is that kind of inconclusive, unsatisfying result that um, has led to the great collapse of faith in our institutions, paranoid thinking about them, not trusting them, um, and all sorts of conspiracy theorizing, and um, contributes to this sort of general fog uh, in the relationship between the public and uh, the government uh, uh, that leads people to sort of say, I don't think we really have any reason to think that they know what's going on. The people who prepared this report um, excused their own um, ambiguity by leaning into the notion that they were doing all they could to uh, pre- present something to the president within the certain timeline that he had dictated to them when they needed to show results. They said, you know, we you know, this was the president's timeline and we, we adhered to it. Very Afghanistan-like that this has to be the certain time frame, and that's why we don't have satisfactory results for you. Now that's probably butt covering to a large degree, but it's also you know reflective of this administration's um, weird reliance on artificial and political time frames to show results, which have now burned this administration on so many occasions. You would think they would just abandon their adherence to artificial timelines. Something, I'm sorry, that it is a good point. So something else just occurred to me to tag on to my last point. This is somewhat reminiscent of the special counsel's report on Trump Russia in that what was that, what happened then? Was, well, there's insufficient evidence of, conclu- of collusion, but we're not saying there was no con- collusion. Um, Yes, Trump said things that are suggestive of obstruction of justice, but those things weren't carried out. It's another sort of grand effort that results in like a head scratching. Well, it's but it, but it, it, the reason it's so frustrating to both of your points is that it's we look to our institutions, the ones that have so much power over their citizens, which our federal government unfortunately does, and what they've given us in response to the most major, you know, pan, this pandemic crisis of the last year and a half is that emoji of someone just shrugging, like, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> could be, could be, who knows? And this comes on the heels, by the way. The reason this is particularly frustrating, if you follow it in your in the in the journalism profession or opinion profession at all is that, you know, we there were active efforts by tech companies to suppress information about this, about this very theory. I mean, it's not as if this isn't that if this hasn't been a, a serious political flashpoint for quite some time that speaks to a lot of other underlying anxieties that Americans have about how they get information and news. So so it's a, it's a bigger issue than just this particular argument about did it start in a Wuhan lab or not? I, but I think, Noah, your point about the timelines is excellent because because Biden has bitten, been bitten by this time and again. 
Um, I mean, you know, COVID was supposed to be on the run by July 4th, which was sort of actually when it started getting worse again. Um, uh, but the, the timeline in Afghanistan is, you know, self-evidently um, disastrous. Uh, and I think he and he think he leans on this for at least two reasons. Um, one is there's a sense that uh, people like uh, sort of to see things bound by, um, um, uh, you, you know, like understood uh, in, in an understood framework that we're going to we're, this is going to get done when it gets done. And that that's that's the way you do things. And it's, I think, an effort on his part to project that the adults are back in charge. It's it's yeah. a simulacrum of comp of um, yeah competence to put a deadline on something, right? I mean, exactly. it's like that's yeah. that's what he thinks a competent executive should do. When it's the precise opposite, you know, a competent executive should expect results. Not I want this on my desk by tomorrow morning, Johnson. And that's the sort of thing that like a a teenager believes, uh, you know, a, a, an executive should behave how an executive should behave. Uh, even at the expense of uh, you know, deliverables, um, which clearly this administration has. But uh, all, uh, perhaps this serves the administration's purpose. I mean, they talk a good game of wanting conflict with China and inviting conflict with China. Um, but nobody really wants to get to the bottom of where COVID came from because China has made every indication and, and acted on it at times that they will uh, punish to the extent they can. Anybody who says anything to the effect of, well, this was the result of uh, Chinese negligence and malfeasance. So maybe an ambiguous report uh, at least buries the issue to the extent that it does and gets Joe Biden out of a jam that he's made for himself. He didn't want this this investigation. This was foisted upon him by a terrible news cycle. But he also doesn't want to deal with the global institutions that got us into this mess as well, like the World Health Organization, which was another. Remember, he ran on contrasting himself uh, with Trump in terms of how this country deals with its allies, how it deals with international bodies. And on both of those counts, Biden has not proven himself up to the game any more than Trump. I mean, the the, the collusion between officials of the World Health Organization and the Chinese government is obvious, but we don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole either. We got a um, horrific poll yesterday uh, for um, for the president that you've seen from, ah, here it was, uh, Suffolk, USA Today, Suffolk. Uh, now, this is an outlier, big outlier, so you should take it with a grain of salt. But it suggested that the president's job approval rating had plunged into the low 40s, 41%, where disapproval was at 55%, um, owing not just to Afghanistan, but to the president's uh, performance on the economy and COVID, which were two of the things that he pretty much promised they would revive over the course of this first year of this administration, not even the administration itself. Um, but even if you take that out, you know, or, or just pl- you know, plug it into the average of polls, the president's job approval rating is now pretty firmly underwater by two and a half points, according to the Real Clear Politics average of polling, which is exactly where you don't want to be. Generic congressional polling, to the extent that's even valid, suggests that it's dead even, a dead heat between a generic preference for a Republican-led Congress or a Democrat-led Congress. These numbers are going in the wrong direction for Democrats, and they're going the wrong direction rather quickly, um, which calls into question um, whether they can get what they want done the entire Democratic agenda in this in this so you know so-called budget reconciliation process. Um, in the time frame that they want it done. And if, you know, they're, they're sacrificing 
themselves, throwing themselves on the pyre. And whether whether Nancy Pelosi has the capacity to to herd you know her caucus into this box canyon, uh, Christine, you noticed something in our in our uh, text thread. Yes, uh, that that uh, that Politico reported this morning that is indicative of this. It, it was hilarious, actually, because one of the things that the, another thing the Biden administration likes to do is clean up its public statements in writing after he, you know, Biden himself has made a terrific uh, rhetorical bumble in person, and now Pelosi's joining this bandwagon. So she says, she said, this legislation will be the biggest and perhaps most controversial initiative that any of us have ever undertaken in our official lives. So, of course, the transcript that they read out later said this legislation will be the biggest and perhaps most consequential initiative. But that uh, I think Politico aptly called it a Freudian slip there. I mean, she's clearly there's still a lot of tension under underneath the surface here about uh, whether this this calling the bluff of the moderates that she's doing is going to ultimately be effective. So. I mean, we shouldn't even gloss over the casual Soviet-style, you know, revision of the, the official record to spare yes, I agree. our, you know, aging gerontocracy the embarrassment of having <laughs> said something that's actually true out loud. Um, that's an abject lie and an abuse of the American public, and you should really resent it. Um, but it does suggest that at least Nancy Pelosi isn't um, so detached from reality that she doesn't realize the legacy that she's leaving behind for her members. And... It is the little things we do that all add up to the legacy we leave behind. And Bowl and Branch was started by a husband and wife team because they wanted to leave a legacy. They wanted to create a textile company that cared about the details that would make their product last. You'll feel the difference in their best-selling, beautifully crafted signature sheets. We have uncompromising standards in all parts of our lives. So why skip out on quality when we spend a third of our lives sleeping? This husband and wife team that started Bowl and Branch realized no sheets on the market met their standards for quality. So they created their own super soft, expertly crafted signature sheets. Bowl and Branch is dedicated to quality at every step. Their sheets are designed and manufactured for maximum comfort and durability, no cutting corners. There is no middleman between you and Bolin Branch, so you get the luxury, quality, and the fairest price that you deserve. To experience an entirely new standard of comfort, visit bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code COMMENTARY. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code COMMENTARY. So listen, guys, thank you very much for joining us in the last couple of days. John will be back tomorrow, right? John's back tomorrow? Yeah. You think? Okay. John is back tomorrow. Uh, anybody have uh, anything else you want to leave our audience with? No. That's I think for, for the general aura of crushing morosity in the news is doing oh, that for us. I'm sure today will we'll deliver us a whole new uh, set of horrors to, to ruminate on tomorrow. Um, in the interim... Thank you very much. We appreciate your listenership. We'll see you tomorrow. For Abe, Christine, and the absent John Butterworths, I'm Noah Rothman. Keep the candle burning.